Welcome back to another episode of Liminal Frames. I'm your co-host, Nathan, and I'm joined with my good friend, Darren, XO Academia. And Darren, it's been a while. We've uh, done 12 episodes of the show and uh, took a little bit of a break for the summer, which was really great. And uh, it's not that we did nothing. We kind of worked on some other projects, uh, some collaboratively and uh, otherwise. But uh, it's nice to really kind of get back in the chair and pick up the show again and and uh, take it forward, particularly with a lot of the things that are going on in the community. But before we kind of jump into that, I just wanted to check in with you. How you doing and uh, what, what's going on with you right now? I'm doing great, thanks. And yeah, it was been a great summer um, for numerous reasons, uh, writing and research and um, fall for me, you know, especially beginning of September has always kind of been ever since, you know, we were in school as kids has kind of been this uh, chiming into a new season of life um, that comes around every year where, you know, you really dig in uh, and and research. And um, so that fits right in with this ongoing topic that we're interested in with the UFO phenomenon and general paranormality. So as the, the leaves begin to fall, uh, as they do here in the Blue Ridge Mountains, I'm always ready to, to really dig in. And it just feels a little bit different than, than the summer vibe. Uh, but yeah, a lot has happened since we uh, last recorded an episode, which was only a few months ago, amazingly. Yeah, it feels like ages ago. And I love the fact that you brought up the seasons because I do think that's a, a good sort of way to to kick off the, this episode. And that that's really thinking about the seasons of change uh, that we all go through both just throughout the year, but in, in a community of interest, uh, in, a, in a topic that we're all... Uh, invested in, uh, in one way or another, we also go through seasons of change. And uh, just to kind of think about where we are right now in this uh, topic, kind of where we've come from, where we might be going, uh, there's a lot to reflect on. Um, and if, you know, if we can kind of set the table a little bit for the state of the nation, if you will, uh, in ufology or in, you know, phenomenological studies, you uh, you know, there's a lot that has happened. Uh, there have been uh, some hearings. There's additional language that seems to be moving through Congress that could provide some significant protections to whistleblowers who may want to come forward and reveal what they know about, uh, you know, black budget programs or historical government involvement with the UFO topic. Uh, that certainly seems like it's gaining a lot of momentum. Uh, we've got uh, additional kind of movies coming out. Uh, I know one in particular from James Fox that it's on the way, a moment of contact about a case in Virginia, Brazil. Uh, I'm sure there's a lot of interest around that. Uh, we have, of course, a lot of folks continuing to do research. Um, particularly, we've seen some emergence of uh, the application of AI into researching historical record of the, this topic, both of individuals who have played a role in, uh, in quote unquote, the cover up or have been involved with things like the disclosure project. And, uh, you know, and we're looking back and kind of verifying whether or not they in fact were who they said they were. And it's interesting to me, at least to, to kind of see these new vectors of analysis applied to a topic that has been, you know, active for so very long. And then on top of all that, uh, you know, kind of momentum, which I think if we were to take stock, you know, everything that has happened right now and look back, say five years, we would be really amazed at kind of where we are. But on top of that, you know, forward progress that I, that I think is true, we also have a lot of uh, sort of infighting and 
uh, you know, kind of drama. Uh, there's um, some factionality that, that seems to be emerging. And none of that is new. I think that's important to kind of, you know, mention as well that, you know, drama is kind of always a part of this topic. Um, and it has been forever. Uh, there's a lot of folks that are heavily invested in it. Uh, both, you know, personally, financially, and other otherwise. And anytime you've got that level of investment, you're going to have uh, some sort of heated uh, exchange from time to time. But you know, before we kind of start unpacking all of that and and going into some of that detail, I also wanted to sort of remind our listeners, those who have been with us uh, since the beginning of the year through the twelve episodes that we've already done, and those of us who might be joining us for the first time uh, right now. I wanted to sort of remind folks kind of what one of the missions or purposes of Liminal Frames happens to be. And I think one of the things that we excel at is being able to sort of have a nuanced, uh, level-headed conversation about the topic more broadly. You know, what we want to be able to do is take a lot of different tools, uh, look at these uh, issues and topics of interest from many different angles. And as we turn them over and examine them from those different facets, the the idea, the hope is that by doing that, we provide uh, folks with an, a better ability to kind of think through the implications of these things, uh, to not look at them from a, a purely one-dimensional level, uh, because if there's anything that we have learned in our own journeys with this, the multi-dimensional approach to the, this topic has served us very, very well. Uh, because there's a lot of uncertainty, there's a lot of unknowns uh, in this area, and so to keep an open mind about what all the different possibilities might be is is you know serves us very very well. Uh, as more facts come out, we can kind of then pivot and think about those facts in new ways. But Exo, I didn't know if you want to touch on any of that, both kind of where we are and also just like what we're trying to do with liminal frames. Yeah, some great opening points there. Um, yeah, I would just highlight what you said there in terms of. A major impetus for us even beginning this show, because Lord knows there's plenty of UFO shows out there, uh, you know, with podcasts and YouTube channels. But we, what we kind of noticed was missing from the conversation, uh, which is kind of a secondary matter. It's more that we did this because this is what we feel called to, and it fits both of our personalities. Um, but we've, you know, been involved in the past in looking at topics uh, with a very overarching perspective, with a, a a view that tries to take in multiple viewpoints. Um, Multi-perspectival is the word that I use for that, um, which is basically saying, uh, and you've seen these uh, famous analogies where you have a certain shape and depending where you're standing, the shape will literally look different. It could be a circle, it could be a cylinder, uh, it could be a rectangle. And the point of those is to demonstrate to people that you know, hardline truth is kind of the wrong way to look at it, that something can be simultaneously multiple things depending on your viewpoint. And, um, you know, a more full perspective takes into consideration all of those different vantage points. Uh, so that's that's really key um, because especially in this topic, which, you know, it's interesting when we first started, I, I remember seeing someone comment that, well, you guys will probably hit all the major topics in about 10 episodes and you'll have nothing more to talk about. And I thought, oh, contraire, you know, um, not only is there constantly new things happening, as we said, so much has happened since we last recorded a show, which was only, uh, you know, maybe back in June or something. Um, but there's so many different angles at which you can approach this topic because it ultimately ends up 
pointing towards the very nature of reality itself. That that that's and we'll get into later on how ufology gets um, flare, flares up into these different drama points around things like woo or what some people would consider woo, right? Because that in itself is kind of a pejorative term for a lot of people. Um, but it's just, it's, it's, there's so much involved and you can't study this topic for very long before you inevitably end up asking the biggest questions. Why are we here? How did we get here? Who put us here? Where is this all going? How much are we being ongoingly interacted with? And the very nature by which these others interact with us is so otherworldly that you don't just say, do they just have a more advanced view of physics than we do? But perhaps is the construct by which we base all of our understanding of what reality is perhaps open to question? Uh, and that's where we ultimately land. So whenever we talk about the state of the nation with this topic, we're just giving you a glimpse here of how much you have to open the aperture, how much you have to really take into consideration so many different factors. And that's why, like I said, I think in one of the first couple episodes, you could do 500 episodes of Liminal Frames and still not even, you know, crack the surface, really. Absolutely. And, you know, I think it's interesting, too, that a lot of folks might bemoan the fact that there are so many different ways to look at this topic, that there are so many different theories, hypotheses that some might look at that and say, you know, see, it's just a it's a low information zone and everyone's just kind of throwing stuff out there. And there's nothing that we can look at as a sort of consensus of opinion. And therefore, uh, with no consensus opinion, it's not really a topic that is worthy of study. And, and I would push back on that to say there are many things in our culture that don't have consensus opinion. And in fact, there are many scientific disciplines and academic disciplines whose very you know, kind of purpose is to look at uh, the same kind of phenomena in, in human life, whether that be biology or uh, human behavior uh, economics, you know, you, you can insert a lot of di different topics here, religion, philosophy, you know, we have entire departments and disciplines and universities devoted to the study of these things. And the chief goal among them is to look at these areas of interest from different perspectives and, and try to find something that, you know, has a, a, a high level of, of meaning, uh, that, uh, of, you know, sort of narrative, uh, uh, veracity, you know, that, that becomes something that is useful in a way to understand what these things are. And that's essentially what we're trying to do as well. And, the, and what the community of interest is trying to do as well. And that, that is to, you know, kind of look at the, this issue from a lot of different facets, a lot of different experiences, a lot of different disciplines applied to, to different kind of, uh, lenses, if you will. And, and in doing so, hopefully, try to find certain narratives that emerge that, that have great explanatory power. And I, I don't know if you want to touch on that. To me, that that's just something that just feels natural. And I'm totally, I'm totally comfortable with that. It doesn't bother me at all. But for others, I, I see there's a lot of pushback that, you know, there's just too much out there and therefore it's not worth, worth study at all. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think again, for you and I, we've discussed this before on this show that we we've been through several iterations where we adopted a completely different worldviews. Um, and, and to, to be clear to people just how, how much that entails, when you adopt a new worldview, it's not just about seeing the same things differently. It's literally about seeing different things. 
that the reality you construct around you is partly determined by your worldview. And while that may sound ridiculous to some people, there's mounting evidence pointing in this, uh, both just in neuroscience and um, evolutionary game theory uh, and physics. It's just, it's very clear that we initially take in some information and then we form these kind of cash pockets or these uh, these memories that we use to primarily re-represent reality as it has been to us previously. And so I've been reading a great book by Ian McGilchrist on this topic um, that in order to save memory, basically working memory, what our brains do is pull up information relevant to what we're experiencing now and unless there's something really startlingly different, it'll just re-represent what we already have seen and experienced. And that happens all the time. Of course, this is happening immediately. And so we lose self-awareness around the fact that this is what's really going on. But I'm sitting in my office right now, which I've sat in every day pretty much, uh, you know, mostly over the last several years. And so my mind can just sort of fill in the gaps with cached memory of what this office looks like rather than allocating resources to re-representing uh, it, right, uh, in, in real time. So that is so key. I would also add finally to your point that I remember coming across this one person that really, really was into quantum theory. And their, their point was, this is my view of how the phenomenon fits in with quantum theory. And science is pretty much 100% on board that this is mainstream science now. So we're good to go. And, and I kind of picked up from that, that they were thinking that from here on out, everybody believes that quantum theory is, is the, you know, the final standard for reality. Uh, what they don't realize is that, like you pointed to, there's this constant flux going on actually between... Uh, just like you have with certain industries where you'll have like a mature industry, then you'll have a declining industry. Then, you know, then you have a new disruptive industry that comes in or a company that can disrupt a previous industry. In the same way in science, as Thomas Kuhn pointed out, we go through um, scientific revolutions. That's how we've actually progressed. And notice that word revolution. It's not just evolution. It's not just iteration. It's not just fine tuning. It's literally tearing up the floorboards and starting again. So it was not that long ago, about a hundred years ago, that we had the revelation and the revolution of quantum mechanics. That's not all that long ago. Much of mainstream science still has not come to terms with what that actually means for reality. But we would be foolish to the nth degree to assume that's the last of those kind of revolutions we'll go through. And in fact, most recent science in terms of physics is pointing towards this deeper structure that makes space-time itself and quantum theory look like a projection that emerges from some deeper structure. So yes, we are still in the midst of this. And I would just say to people, try to learn to be comfortable with that discomfort. Uh, try to move away from relying on stasis to feel like uh, your world is worth living in, you know, I mean, I think that this is just the adventure. We, we keep saying this, I keep saying this, right? That try to approach it more like an adventure where we're discovering new things every day, just like kids do. And they, they don't get overwhelmed by the fact that there's plenty, plenty they don't know. At some point we trade off that for certitude, right? We want that feeling of certitude. And I would say, let's just return to that kind of childlike nature of awe and wonder. 
Great point. Great point. And, and you know, it's funny too, because like, as you pointed out, the, the, the sort of com- competition of ideas, this friction uh, between uh, competing theories, you know, this lends to our progress. And, and that's something that is just a fact. And that has been a fact of human civilization since we've been doing things. Uh, and so it, it's funny to me that that's the way things work yet we still have a lot of drama that we kind of fixate on and we kind of confuse the, the drama, the, the sort of level of investment we have in a particular worldview and idea. Uh, we confuse the importance of, of that versus the, the kind of the process itself. And so, you know, that might be a good segue into kind of talking a little bit about the drama that, that we've seen in the, the community of interest recently um, and, and, you know, some of that or much of that stems from this heavy investment in, in specific ideas constituting what the phenomenon, what it, quote unquote, actually is. So we have a lot of uh, sort of tribalism or, or uh, you know, high f- degree of uh, uh, investment in, in certain you know, specific ideas and what's at play here. And, and folks kind of put themselves in, the, in the, the, those camps and defend those ideas very vigorously against anything that kind of comes against that particular no, notion. And that's, you know, that's not something that is abnormal. I mean, humans are going to do that. They're going to argue a point, if, particularly if they find it to be, uh, you know, very convincing. But it's one thing to kind of argue a position uh, on, the, on its merits. And it's another thing to kind of take those arguments to the level of uh, personal attack uh, to, you know, kind of the, the low road, you know, being very vitriolic and toxic in the way that we kind of go to bat for these positions. And so I don't know what, what, what are your thoughts on, you know, what we've seen particularly re- recently with some of the, you know, kind of uh, little t- Twitter spats or, uh, you know, personality wars that we've kind of seen pop up. I mean, I know that's nothing new within ufology or really human history at all, but, you know, how do you look at that and, and what are some good sort of takeaways to, to think about if we want to, uh, you know, kind of look, look at that in a better light? Yeah, that's a great question and a big one to, to tackle. Um, I would, I would begin by saying that some people, rather than opting for contemplating and considering different ideas or different notions, different hypotheses, what they end up doing instead is aligning with certain individuals, right? Certain people. Um, and therefore, even if those people that they are aligning with or putting all their trust and hopes in, if those people, uh, that are these sort of figureheads change their perspective or evolve, um, sometimes the people who are following them will just not even acknowledge that there's been a shift. Uh, so when people might come in, you know, well-meaning people might come in and say, well, it's interesting because this figurehead, I'm just using that word creatively, um, used to say this, but now they're saying this, that's, that's kind of a change. And some people that again, support that figurehead and put all their hopes in that figureheads being right, they will actually try to, uh, defend this person, what they think is defending by saying, oh no, there's been no shift, you know? And it, it reminds me of when, uh, one time, you know, you and I both come from this this Christian background and 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 church history and understanding all of that. I remember one time this church I was involved in in Houston uh, back in the day. Uh, they had this open session where people from the community could come and ask questions about the Bible and about Christianity. And this one woman got up and was very thoughtful and said, 
what what do you make sense of the sort of different depiction of God in the Old Testament versus the New Testament? The New Testament seems much more caring, uh, open-hearted, welcoming, much more condemning and rule-centered in the Old Testament. And the response of this one pastor, which was a friend of mine, was to to deny that there was any difference, right? He basically just shot down her points and said, you're wrong. Next, you know, and that was not helpful. And it not only was it not helpful, but people are smarter than that. Most people are smarter than that. They'll recognize that you're just deflecting and denying an issue rather than actually addressing it. So that's the first thing is to say that um, we need to be open that if even people that we put a lot of faith and trust in, um, if they shift position, it's okay to acknowledge that, you know, and, and I think we, we look more open-minded uh, to the data when we do that. But to that point further, people tend to often lump people into either the hero or the villain category, right? So I have to admit, even for myself, if there's one way that I'm susceptible to this, it's in the villains, right? So a Mick West is often a challenge for me. Um, even though, as you and I have talked about privately, he's doing the best he can based on where he's at and his current worldview. His current worldview is more closed than he is self-aware of, and it determines what he even will consider as data or even possibilities of where that data could lead. But nevertheless, he's still doing the best he can based on where he is. It does no good to paint him only as a villain, like he's Darth Vader to the community and we all have to you know, uh, try to take up arms against the empire, right? Um, he is a human being with a worldview moving along a spectrum like all of us. Uh, on the flip side, there are people that others consider heroes and they will defend them to the nth degree, which ultimately is not even helpful for those people that are those figureheads because we, we all make mistakes. We all have a shift in perspective. I'll be the first to admit my perspective on this phenomenon has shifted numerous times and will change yet, I guarantee you. Uh, so I don't need someone defending me by saying to somebody else who's a critic necessarily, oh, well, Exo used to say this and now he's saying this. I'm like, I'll be the first to admit there has been some shift. And I think if we're diligently engaging with this phenomenon, to use a phrase from our friend James Iandoli, um, then, then that should be the, the, the fruit of that endeavor. So I would just say to people, try to be more self-aware about this heroing and villaining of, of the entire process and try to be a bit more nuanced about the, the actual arguments behind those people, that it doesn't ultimately serve any of us to put people into those two camps and just leave it there. Yeah, I'm so glad you brought that up. I think it, it really is... Uh... It does no one any favors, uh, you know, particularly those folks that are, you know, kind of pushing hardest on this uh, for us to, you know, kind of lionize them in the way that we often do. Um, it's not to diminish the contributions that they are making. And, and every movement has its heroes, its proponents, those that are making a significant difference in where things are going. But to, you know, kind of take a position that, essentially what we're talking about is robbing that person of their humanity. You know, we're, we are, we are taking that away from them. Their, their, their right to be a complex person with di different viewpoints, evolving viewpoints, uh, personality flaws, uh, things that, that they're really good at 
as well. We're kind of robbing them of all of those things and instead flattening them into a very one-dimensional figure. And, you know, believe it or not, that has an impact on the individual. Um, you know, there is a uh, an absolute effect when there, when you, and this happens, I think, in any you know kind of collection of, of people, where if enough people formulate uh, an idea of a person and and propagate that idea very vigorously, uh, that that picture of the individual does, in some ways, begin to be adopted by that person on a on a personal level, uh, and that again d- does them a tremendous amount of harm. And really gets in the way of, at least in my opinion, it gets in the way of what the overall sort of objective of that group happens to be. Um, and so you see this time and time again, uh, you know, sort of leaders who who recognize when this is happening, uh, you know, if they're cognizant of it, what they will try to do is kind of extricate themselves from the situation. They'll, they'll try to, you know, diminish the role that they have played uh, because at some point their uh, sort of conception of who they are is getting in the way of what the objective happens to be. So you either see that happen or what you'll often see happen, maybe more often see happen, <clears throat> is the leaders themselves will have a, a, an incredible falling out. You know, they, they will basically kind of crash and burn in a very uh, public fashion. And, and if that happens, uh, it, it can do a tremendous amount of harm uh, to the to the community and, and to kind of the at least from an outsider's perspective, you know, because those who may not be as familiar with kind of the ins and outs of the topic and the, uh, you know, the intricacies of the community uh, that, that have kind of been working through these issues, they're just looking at this from the outside and saying, oh, look at so and so and how terrible of a person they are. And because they're terrible nothing that they have said or done is worthy of uh, an interest. It has no validity. The entire thing that they stood for is therefore just completely worthless. And I think that, you know, just think about the harm that that does both to the, the objective of the community, but also to those individuals themselves. And so, you know, in short, what I'm going to, what I would argue for is to really bring back uh, into our conversation, the human element, you know, to sort of try to uh, guard against this tendency that we have to one-dimensionalize people, uh, to remove their complexity, uh, and, and just rob them of the ability to have kind of a nuanced conversation and change over time. Yeah, absolutely. Some some great points in there. Uh, a couple things that I want to build on a bit. Um, I really liked your point about you know, true leaders uh, will will do their best to extricate themselves from the process at some point. And, uh, you know, there's this expression that, you know, the best leaders in the end work themselves out of a job, you know, that, that they pass it on for everyone else to be able to pick up the torch and carry it on. Um, you know, even think about historical figures like Jesus of Nazareth, for instance, right? Um would say things like, you will do even greater things than these, right? And again, what's ironic is that it's it's that we as a civilization, we as groups of people tend to really default to making heroes of these figures that began certain movements. And you and I have discussed before this notion I came across of man, myth, monument, right? Being these three-step uh, process we go through where 
First, it's a human being, of course, man or woman. Um, then there's a sort of mythos that builds up around that person. The further we get from when they actually lived, right? Especially in oral traditions, right? Where we've talked a lot about religious history, for instance, and you have a long oral tradition often before things were ever written down. And we all know how the game of telephone goes and things can change over time, right? So then you've got a myth built up around the person that might've already shifted a fair amount from what they actually said and did. And then eventually you have a monument phase where you try to lock it down and say, this is what the person said. These are the immutable laws, therefore, right, around these religious figures. And it can't change. Now it's tame and it's safe, right? Um, and so you have the ironic process where people who actually wanted to free people to embark on an adventure, for instance, spiritually, like I would say that Jesus actually meant to do, Instead, what you have people doing is locking down, saying, let's um, ascribe all of these divine characteristics to this individual. Let's make them as much dislike us as possible, right? They really are like, did he, does his feet even touch the ground technically, or did he just float around like a gray alien, right? So there's that process, right? Um, and, and you could argue in the end, you end up with something that's very, very different in religious tradition than what was originally meant. And, and what's interesting about this, speaking of bias, is that you can actually, when you look at it with a certain perspective, you can see this in the biblical text, in the Gospels, for instance. You can see that this was his aim. And yet another group of people, say coming from a more fundamentalist perspective, can read those very same texts and not see it. That's my point about touching back to worldviews that you can read the same text, two different people, and come away with different conclusions, right? And we should also remember that with this phenomenon, where getting clear data is hard enough as it is. But once we've gotten the data, you're still going to have people that draw different conclusions, a la McWest, right? Uh, based on the very same data. Um, and to your, also to your point about these, these hero figures, right? They can be, again, we're multidimensional beings, and somebody can be uh, really soar in one area and actually have some, be lacking some self-awareness and be kind of underdeveloped in other areas. And part of my integral background was recognizing that actually there's multiple intelligences to every human being. And you can be a guru in one area, have broken through to some really deep levels of understanding the nuances of reality beyond the physical structure of the waking world and still need therapy. You know what I mean? I, 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 I read an article recently that was something like that. The title was something like, I think our guru needs therapy. You can be both. You can be someone who has deep insights, penetrating insights into the nature of spiritual reality and still be lacking self-awareness uh, in other areas because, again, there's these multiple intelligences. And we, again, we flatten a complex structure when we try to assume people are just one-dimensional that way, uh, which, again, like we said, ultimately doesn't help any of them. The last point I would make too around this drama piece is that, like you pointed out, some people have favorite hypotheses going in. For instance, some people coming in with more of a nuts and bolts perspective, right? That either these are ET craft coming in from Zeta Reticuli or it's nothing at all, right? Or just black budget projects, right? US military and whatnot. And when Data begins to present more and more what they would call woo, right? More and more high strangeness, general paranormality co-arising with these sightings. 
they will, again, sometimes without being self-aware, say, I'm switching sides. I'm just going to say this is all black budget tech because I refuse to believe that stuff is real. So if you're going to make me consider that with these sightings, I would rather just say the whole thing is hogwash or the whole thing is just uh, misidentifications of military craft. And that can happen without that person even being self-aware of that process. And they end up switching sides, become skeptics, cynics because of this. And this is why this this topic is so complex. And we really, again, we hit on this over and over again. Trying to develop self-awareness is so important because of these issues. Yeah. And something we've talked about often as well is this sort of uh, the energetic tendencies that people have. And, and I would say not only as individuals, but as sort of as, as groups. Um, so, you know, the energy that people bring to a conversation, to a topic or whatever, it, it, over time that they get to know them, it becomes kind of obvious what that energy happens to be. You know, they're, it can be uh, incredibly intense. It can be, uh, you know, quite flippant. Uh, it can be everything in between nonchalant, you know, so there's just a, there's a spectrum of, of, I think, uh, behavior, you know, related to th- this topic in particular. And, you know, what I, the way I kind of look at that is that there, I've come to this place where it's less, you know, sort of my responsibility to, uh, you know, kind of bring someone, you know, like actively try to bring someone over to my particular vantage point. Um, instead, what I've decided to do is, is really just, you know, kind of be, uh, you know, the best that I can be in, in how I'm expressing my own energetic tendency toward this issue. And there are going to be those that, that are like-minded or, or feel kind of a, a gravitational pull to that. And then there are those that are not, and, and that's okay. You know, so in other words, that there, we, we, we have to kind of make space in my opinion for the, the broad spectrum of, of interest or disinterest in, in this topic. Uh, because at the end of the day, we are kind of a human family, and and as as families tend to do, there's, you know, there there are some who uh, who behave one way and other other ways, and you know, get them all together for Thanksgiving, and sometimes it's not the most pleasant experience, but you can still have a meal together, and they're still part of your family, and you can still go to bat for them when times get tough. I'm reminded of uh, so many instances in human history when uh, things have happened that have been you know really catastrophic for certain communities. Uh, you know, whether it be a, a, a weather phenomena uh, or a natural, uh, some other nat- natural disaster, economic disaster, and people rally together to try to, you know, help one another. And that we always look at those ex- as examples of kind of the best of humanity. And, and I think what we kind of forget there is it's not that we're all in agreement on what life is or what's important or whatever. Um, it's that we're all actually trying to help one another, but we're, make, we're also leaving room for each other to kind of be who we are. And, and to me, like, that's incredibly important. I'm okay with that. I'm comfortable with that in, in the community of ufology. Uh, there are these different expressions that tend to kind of work themselves out. And, uh, you know, it's my choice, particularly in social media, to either engage or disengage uh, in the way that I feel, you know, I'm, I'm called to do. And uh, that in some ways may be, you know, I just don't, you know, I block or mute or whatever. I try not to block too much, honestly. Uh, or I just, you know, surround myself with folks that I think have a, uh, are approaching this topic from a similar kind of energy 
uh, or at least are, are willing to have a conversation that is, you know, fairly level headed and, and, uh, and not prone to kind of like flying off the handle. Uh, but even then, you know, I've got friends that in the community that have uh, opinions that I don't share and that, that do, they do kind of let, let off steam here and there. And that that's okay. You know, people are going to do what people do. And, uh, we have to kind of, I think, leave room for that behavior because it's just the way we are. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think <clears throat> it's a really important point to say that, you know, first and foremost, we should remember that these are all human beings we're dealing with. And, you know, I've heard, uh, even some people make this point when it comes to political profiling, right? Someone will say, well, this person, uh, tends to be associated with these things and they'll vote this way. Um, and especially in a country like ours, which is very divided politically. Um, but what people often don't remember to say is that, but at the end of the day, those are both human beings, right? And there's a story and an experience set behind why they are the way they are. And some of that they have almost or very little control over where, where they're born, which state they're born in, you know, uh, what political persuasion they were, they were, um, you know, raised with for people like you and I who have this religious history you know, to what degree were you subjected to the notions of a fundamentalist religious system or not? Uh, all of these impact people. And a lot of this happens before people even have a say on whether or not, you know, they, they want to be subjected to that kind of thing. Uh, so, so yeah, it, it's, uh, it brings to mind another point that you and I have thought a lot about, and that is that in a post-church society, and I know that in America, that's Hard for some people to imagine we're we're moving towards that, especially in light of recent developments. But globally, there's definitely a move towards this post-church society. You definitely notice it in in Western Europe, uh, particularly, where and Rupert Sheldrake's talked about this. You know, we've lost something when we no longer gather together with our neighbors, right? Um, I don't know about well, I know for you, you you've been asked to be a part of an HOA, but but for me. I generally don't see my neighbors very much, you know, and I might pass them when I'm walking on the trail and, and wave. But other than that, we don't get to know each other very much. Um, and that's not the way things used to be. You know, things used to be, in, you know, set up in such a way that you would get to know your neighbors, even the ones you didn't particularly like or the ones that had annoying mannerisms. But what you inevitably did by being forced to interact with them was see them as multidimensional people that have some good things and some not good things. And sometimes these people that you might not align with are the ones that would come to your aid when you really need it, right? Versus other people who you may be aligned with conceptually left you out to dry, right? So again, this just pinpoints again, this this, this point that we're, we're complex beings. And on social media, you know, one of the, the real challenges of the internet in general that even you know founders of major corporations like Twitter have pointed out with some regret is is how in some ways it's enabled some of the worst of humanity where we can say horrible things about other people in comment sections for instance and because we know we will never see those people in person and never have to be held to account for what we've said because we're often using a handle like exoacadamian which you know is not your name uh <laughs> And so you don't, you're not even held to account or you can say the most horrific things, just sort of venting some deep, uh, you know, darkness you have. And it, in a moment makes you feel good about this power of like, you just like launch something into the universe, but you're not ever confronted with 
the impact of that on another human being, at least until you get your past life or your, your lifetime review at the end of your life, you're going to, all that's going to come back to you. Everything you said in a comment section, is going to come back to you. I'll point that out to people. Uh, but you know, this is important to remember is that there is a human being on the other side of that. And they've been through difficult things and, and life is difficult for most people. Most people have challenges that we're not even aware of. And when we reduce them to a set of ideas they're putting forth about the phenomenon, we really do a disservice uh, to trying to act as, as a community of human beings uh, more than anything else. Yeah, well said. Well, uh, let's pivot away from the drama. And I know we're going to kind of touch on community again a little bit in a little bit, but uh, let's pivot to you know something that uh, Christopher Mellon said very recently uh, I think in Barcelona uh, during an interview and I'll, I'll paraphrase it here, but he sort of essentially said that, um, you know, government disclosure is, is not imminent. Uh, and I think that's kind of caught a lot of folks uh, a little bit off guard, you know, coming from someone who's been uh, such a staunch proponent, uh, of course, a former government insider. Uh, and there's been a lot of thought that, you know, we really were close to, uh, some more significant revelations. And, uh, you know, I think it calls into question a lot of uh, topics uh, that we can get into, you know, so it, one, I guess, you know, how do you feel about that quote? But two, uh, if, if the government's not going to step forward and, and, you know, kind of talk about disclosure, at least in a meaningful way, uh, and if they're not going to do it, then, then who is, where, where do we think that that may come from? What, what do you think about this? Yeah, it's it's interesting, and I think I saw a lot of people surprised by by that comment uh, because when you compare that to this level of enthusiasm we've been hearing from uh, some people that you know uh, people would consider insiders, right? People who have at least been part of the government structure, who have been surprisingly positive um, and enthusiastic about how much is shifting. So again, I think we need a nuanced perspective here. So on the one hand, like you pointed out at the beginning of the show, you know, we've had congressional hearings, uh, we've had language now put forth to protect whistleblowers in the future, and all signs are pointing towards fairly imminently, there will be people who have awareness of legacy UFO programs that will be testifying before Congress. I'll also point out to people that those are going to be closed hearings because it's going to involve classified information. So we will not be seeing that publicly, but it will be happening behind closed doors and opening the eyes and ears of Congress people um, to how much has been going on. We've also had, you know, items like the, the Wilson Davis notes uh, added to the congressional record. These are all massive, massive moves the videos that were released around 2017 and the New York Times articles, again, that's a massive shift from what used to be the case in Project Blue Book kind of days. So let's first step back and remember the last five years have been a whirlwind, but a lot has happened that, you know, for people who've been in this for decades, um, there's no doubt there's been this sea change. But I think partly what Chris has trying to remember or remind us to do is to keep feet to the fire, that don't back off. It's because there's been pressure uh, brought to bear against some of these 
deeply uh, embedded secret structures that things are beginning to crack. Now is not the time to back off of that. We need to keep doing that. Um, and I would also add that some of the, the people who have been in those former government positions or still uh, aligned with the government in various ways, maybe as contractors and whatnot. Um, again, government is a complex assortment of a, a lot of different organizations, one hand often not talking to the, to the 75 other hands, right? Um, and we still have an issue with siloed information. We still have an issue where um, these various agencies have classification systems that prevent one group from talking to another group or even being aware that, that one group exists within one uh, classification structure. So um, that is still going, be, going to be a tough nut to crack. We almost need systemic change for, for that to happen, that even some of these insiders uh, are finding it difficult to still get access to data. I know that's the case, that still getting access to data is a problem, even in this day and age. You're still seeing the Air Force, for instance, being pretty dismissive and doing everything it can to sort of evade even talking about this topic. That They probably more than anyone else uh, have mountains of data that if we could analyze it, which again speaks to the AI thing, which we can, we can touch base on, um, then we could really identify patterns that would be very meaningful. So I think all of that matters, that... Um, that these secret structures aren't the ones that are saying, come, let's come forward. It's time. You know, I mean, there are some people, no doubt in there, but, uh, most of the cracking that's happening in the system is because of pressures being brought to bear from outside the system. So that's partly what he's saying is we need to keep that up. Um, I would also finally add before I pass it back to you, uh, cause this is a complex topic. Um, you know, there was a point where our, our classification systems and our tendency towards always classifying information made some sense. In the midst of a Cold War, for instance, um, where there was even strong evidence that there were Soviet agents that infiltrated the CIA, for instance, right? In the midst of the Cold War, you can understand why it was considered at the time important to uh, have a need to know you know, and put that into effect to the nth degree, where even within one agency, someone who works for that agency might not even know that a certain group exists, you know, or you might have people that are running or involved in two operations at the same time. So every time they're at a certain location, you can say, oh yeah, they were just involved in project A, while simultaneously project B was also going on. So even when you try to uncover in the historical record, and I know some of this has happened, you will have people who are involved with A and B, but because they always could explain it away as say, oh yeah, I was in Albuquerque because I was involved in Project A. And you could look up the documentation and you would find it in the historical record, which makes it look like nothing was going on. But the truth is it was also Project B happening simultaneously. So that just gives you an idea of the degree to which these government structures have gone to hiding even the the evidence of certain uh task force and whatnot, even being in existence, even from people in their own agency. That had a point at, uh, at some point, you know, during the Cold War, that made some sense. But what happens is eventually these initial ideas, which are just loose ideas, right, become, again, they, they become uh, monumentized within the system, right? So it becomes the default to always classify, 
right? To always classify and to reduce it to the fewest number of people uh, who have a need to know as possible. And then what you end up with is a history where we have mountains of data that would tell us so much about the phenomenon. And I think towards my working hypothesis that there's numerous groups with different origin sources, we could have invaluable data that would demonstrate those different patterns, but it's all siloed away. So, so this is why we've got such a, a difficult process ahead of us. We really need a systemic change, um, uh, a sea change within the entire organizational structure of the government for this to happen, even for people who have clearances and are working diligently towards this. It's still a massive obstacle they're running up against is the siloing of information and the hyperclassification, which is handcuffing our society more than it's actually helping at this point. Yeah, and if I could kind of summarize some of that too with an analogy, I think of it like a, like an organism, so just like the human body, right? So think of the government as, you know, a human body, and you know, there's there are things happening inside the body all the time that our executive function, our our conscious awareness, uh, you know, it's just not even we're not even cognizant of those things, um, particularly when we're talking about things that might be like a, a disease or a parasite or a cancer or whatever. There could be something happening inside the body that we just have no, you know, executive level awareness of, and oftentimes, uh, you know, that to an external observer, you can be looking at that individual and you can see signs of of this issue. They might be subtle, but if you're trained, you might be able to catch them. That's what you know. So hopefully, what physicians are good at doing, you know, that they can look at an individual, they can look at uh, you know, kind of blood panels and all these kinds of things, and say. Hey, you know, this, this is an indication to me that this, there's something else happening here that, that you, the individual are, are not aware of. And that's, you know, that, that's a lot how I think about the government, you know, capital G government here and this point from Chris Mellon, when it comes to disclosure, you know, an official statement from the government is, is akin to the individual in this example, acknowledging that they have a, a disease you know, that they have some sort of uh, I issue that they weren't aware of. And so the, the physician, you know, who is trained, who can see that thing, who can conduct the biopsy or whatever it is, they're the ones that are able to, you know, kind of bring the individual awareness to, to focus on that. And then you can start creating a care plan and you can acknowledge that it's real and, and you can move, move forward. So that's really what I see happening here, uh, you know, kind of just generally uh, is that it's going to take time. It takes time to kind of uh, you know, diagnose the issue to find out where the problem happens to be, uh, to draw attention to that from the executive level, to understand what that is, and then to and then to kind of formulate all of that into a comprehensive understanding that can be articulated. I have X, Y, Z, and I am doing X. You know, to to try to solve this. So I think, at least for me, that that's a helpful analogy to think about what might be going on here, and and I think too, it's a good reminder that that this process is, is not going to be, and I've said this many, many times, I know we have on the show as well, you know, this is not going to be something where it's just like a, a light switch, you know, where we just kind of flip this and all of a sudden, you know, boom, we have all the answers and, you know, all of our questions are, are resolved. You know, it's just, that is not the way it will occur. It's going to happen in incremental ways over time. And it's going to be and I, and I, th I hope it is going to be, I think it will be a, a collective process, you know, that there is a part, in other words, that, 
the government plays in disclosure. There's also a part that society plays in disclosure. Obviously, government is given power from you know its people. And so there is this kind of uh, dialectic conversation happening uh, with these individuals and the organizations to to kind of move us into into what official disclosure looks like. And by the way, that process is actually never really done. You know, there will always be mysteries that that have yet to be disclosed. Uh, and that I think that that's something people need to get comfortable with. There's not going to be this sort of grand revelatory moment when all questions in the universe have been addressed. You know, we need to be, uh, I think, thinking about that and preparing ourselves for that, because a lot of folks, in my opinion, at least, seem to have uh, really kind of uh, crazy expectations about what, what is going to happen here, uh, that it's going to like all of our problems are going to be solved and everything's going to be great when, when, when we get that disclosure. Um, but I know we were talking about this topic, too, and you you know, you wanted to touch on some of the things that might be different about uh, kind of where we are today versus where we've been in history. Because, you know, with ufology, at least in the last, you know, seven plus decades, we've been through cycles like this before, where we've kind of been on the precipice of, uh, you know, greater revelation and and the door has been, been shut again. But, you know, is there something different about today that really gives you a lot more hope than than kind of where we've been? Yeah, absolutely. And I'm, I'm glad we're going to address this because I think this is flying under the radar for a lot of people. Um, now, on the one hand, I can see how people are cynical you know, and frustrated and they say, look, look, it's been 75 years already. And you just admitted, Darren, that um, you know the secret keepers still don't want to release the secrets. So how do we know it's not just going to be more of the same ultimately, that these 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 hopes end up being false hopes. And I would say there's there's numerous things that are different. One really distinct difference is has to do with the tools the 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 deep state can bring to bear to keep this secret, right? So uh, in the 1950s or 60s, you know, pre-internet, um, long before the internet, there was you know. Efforts to, for instance, control journalists and control news media, right? And so you would sometimes have um, articles that were simultaneously released around the world, published around the world, that contained almost the exact same kind of um, structure of language, right? Now, back in those days, somebody in Milan, Italy, is not going to be reading the New York Times, likely. They're not going to be reading, you know, the Los Angeles Times. They're not going to be reading the the Boise Post or whatever art, newspaper they have in Boise, uh, you know, or the Toronto Star or whatever. I mean, the point being that it was much easier to control the dissemination of information in those days because you could have this worldwide effort to funnel disinformation through journalists. And no one would pick up on the fact that this coordinated effort was happening globally <clears throat> to, for instance, suppress interest in UFOs and suppress the belief that they're real, right? But number one, not only can, can that not happen now because you and I can get on the internet and pull up all of those newspapers, right? But we also now have uh, really powerful software that can scan thousands and thousands of newspapers around the world and and recognize when that happens. When there's a coordinated disinformation campaign, it'll recognize and it'll be plain as day, right? 
But very, very importantly, that also now applies to the historical record. So all of those efforts that were made in the 20th century to suppress information and to deflect from important data that was already leaked out into the public can now be found, scanned, collated, and can generate really valuable intel. And that is happening as we speak. There are people who are employing really sophisticated AI to scan everything under the sun, including documents that have been locked up in private libraries and places like that uh, for decades, right? And this is where, by the way, um, you know, legacy ufologists who've been at this for years, holding on to your private collection of data is not helpful at this point. Everybody needs to be on the same team, put that information forward so we can run this data analysis and notice these trends, not just about what governments have done to suppress information, but we can also uh, corroborate different uh, parts of the narrative too and say, well, we know this person was involved because over here we have their military record. Uh, you know, I, I know some people who are even employing, uh, you know, getting on to Ancestry.com and, and, and actually finding out, oh, sure enough, this person was related to this person, you know. And what I'm trying to point out is that it's amazing, startling, game-changing how much we can actually reconstruct the true narrative of the 20th century in opposition to what we were actually told about the history of the 20th century. And this is happening as we speak. And there's very little the secret keepers can do to stop it because that information is already out there. It just, to use a Jeremy Corbell uh, uh, phrase, it wasn't weaponized before, right? It wasn't, it was there, but it wasn't useful because it was just sitting there. So while it's true that we still have problems with siloing of information within the government structure, nevertheless, in the public record around the world, there's so much information we do have access to. And at this point, it's just a matter of running that analysis and finding those patterns and beginning to expose the entire thing. And I will just warn people, um, some people will be daunted by this. Other people will feel enthused about it, that it will ultimately reconstruct a very, very different narrative about the entire 20th century than, than we've been told up until now. So just prepare yourself because that is coming. Yeah, I'm glad you pointed that out. And it feels as if we are at a time where at least more folks are, I think, opening up to that possibility that... Um, you know, there seems to be at least enough incidents in, in U.S. history uh, that we can look to where we can just very clearly see there was a coordinated effort to, uh, you know, kind of convince the public and the world that events transpired like this and, and not like that. I mean, this is something that isn't new. We've, we've talked about this uh, many times, and I think most people who've done any a degree of study on on any topic understand that you know those that have the power of the pen are are those that possess the power of 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 the truth, um, and you know truth in quotes there, and so this isn't a new concept, but it is amazing what we can do now with this technology to, I think, unravel some of the official narratives and and present more information and different perspectives on what actually took place and and. I, and as you point out, like it can be incredibly destabilizing. And, and this is something that I uh, have always, you know, kind of wondered about, uh, in particular with the, the the topic of disclosure, is in in the world in which we live now, where we are wrestling with 
uh, kind of a consensus uh, narrative of, of what what's going on. You know, we have everyone kind of with their own uh, sort of bubble of uh, of truth. You know, how is it going to be? How will this uh, sort of reality uh, kind of seep into our, our our understanding to where you know, and how long will it take? You know, so it, it's not going to be as simple as in the past where. You know, there's just some sort of great headline from, uh, you know, insert your, you know, your news station of choice or paper of choice. And and the world's just saying, yep, that's what happened. You know, we don't live in that kind of world any longer. So even if we get some of the information that we are hoping for, and if that's disseminated by, you know, again, insert your uh, sort of venue of choice, you know, we have to remember that there's still going to be uh, some uh, contention as to what is actually happening. Uh, there's always going to be some narrative control. Um, and so, you know, we are, we are living in a world now where we're struggling with this. I don't see that changing. Uh, what I do hope is that, you know, perhaps with, with tools like AI, uh, we, will, we will kind of maybe get to a consensus picture a little bit faster uh, but even then, I don't know, it's going to be a real challenge. And I think that just, remi- it's a good reminder for all of us that we need to, uh, you know, have some degree of mental flexibility. You know, we need to be able to uh, kind of roll with whatever might come our way and leave an open mind because, you know, to some degree, there's a little bit of truth and a little bit of falsehood in just about everything that we experience uh, in our in our collective life today. Yeah, absolutely true. Um, you know, it also occurs to me that just to, to further the point that we've both been making, one of the techniques that has been employed historically is to say say if there's this sense that the government, and I say that in quotes again, because this is a complex picture of a lot of different organizations made up, up, up of, you know, uh, a cross section of our society. So all sorts of different worldviews existing, different personal agendas even within that. So people need to keep that in mind. It does no good to, to set up the the government as a boogeyman, right? Um, or a straw man. So, but, you know, when you think back to, um, you know, like you say, there, there are some events that get reconstructed like Watergate or the Pentagon Papers when that came out where people go, okay, so we understand what happened now, right? We have data that says this happened, A happened rather than B, right? And uh, certain secret structures try to convince us of B when really it was A. <clears throat> that works partly because you're still within the same um, overarching truth structure, right? Uh, the challenge with the UFO phenomenon, and this is sort of building on what you were hinting at there, is that even when you have data, you still need analysis, which involves inevitably interpretation, right? And And part of the challenge we're facing now is you have certain groups like the Collins elite, for instance, uh, within government structures that have a particular interpretive uh, perspective, right? And the challenge is how do we let that information in its raw form get out to the public rather than just get its interpreted uh, representation out to the public? Um I see a lot of people still, in my mind, making the mistake of thinking, look, these are people with high security clearances, with good educations. Surely they're not going to be biased by a worldview perspective, such as you know religious history or a religious perspective. So we can trust what they're telling us. If they're saying it's demons, it's got to be, right? 
and I've made this point many times, and I would just say, those people are your neighbors, meaning they're a cross-section of our society with different worldviews, and we, we cannot trust that. We need to have the information in its raw format. I do not want someone who's a, an insider saying, all I got to tell you is it's, it's, it's great news, or it's bad news, or it's sobering, or it's, uh, you know, it's challenging, or it's, you know, fascinating. Those are all interpretive words, and it doesn't help me understand what's actually in the data. And what's different about this process, and you've not, you and I have talked about this privately, that even the people that are working towards, again, applying pressure to crack this nut open, the overarching and daunting question is, what happens when it does finally crack? When that data comes out, you're going to have all these different worldviews interpreting now based on their own perspectives, many of them not being aware that they have a biased perspective, as we all do at any point. And so you're going to then have some pressures in the world because you're going to have different interpretations of what this means, which is, uh, you know, is going to be challenging on its own. And I don't know that there's any easy answer to that. Like, like you pointed out, uh, you know, we're always in a process of evolving our understanding of what reality itself is. But that said, there are certain points where there's more consensus agreement than others. And just even aside of the UFO phenomenon, in our American culture, we're really seeing almost two distinct worldviews play out, right? And uh, that just gives you a, a hint of what's going to happen when this emerges and emerges on the global stage, right? So you've got all these different nation states with different worldview perspectives within those different historical traditions that are going to take that information and put it through its own kind of filter. Uh, it's going to be a complex situation. I don't think any of us know what it's going to produce ultimately. And there are so many directions it, it could go from here that it's literally almost impossible to accurately predict. Even if you pull in sociologists and psychologists and different, uh, you know, leaders of different groups like the Catholic Church and Buddhists or whatever to try and give their input. This is one of those things where there's there's so many variables in play that it's very difficult to know where this is going to go in the long run and to what degree, of course, is is the phenomenon itself going to play a role? To what degree will the phenomenon try to uh, input uh, you know, various bits of information or maybe even narrative assistance to uh to facilitate that but it's it's going to be a uh a civilization changing event no matter what happens yeah i completely agree and 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 this is where you know I, for me i'm going to emphasize i'm going to put on kind of an old hat that i i wore in the past uh, the, sort of the pastoral hat or the counselor hat in a previous life and that is that regardless of what facts emerge, it doesn't change the fact that, that we as individuals, you know, have things that we can do in how we comport ourselves and, uh, and, and take care of ourselves and, and how we, how we interact with one another in community, you know, so these grand revelations, you know, whatever they are, they don't absolve us of, of responsibility uh, to in, to have and develop, you know, greater self awareness to, uh, to 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 
to think about the way that we not only treat ourselves, but treat one another. You know, to me, these are the, the biggest issues outside of the technicalities. And, and, you know, for that reason, I often kind of say that UFOs and the paranormal and all of the, the, the things that constitute the phenomena, you know, they're, they're, they're amazing things. And, and, you know, they, they're fun to talk about. They're, you know, they, they certainly, you know, sort of light my curiosity on fire, but they don't change some of the fundamental things that we as human beings have to deal with. You know, so this, I think, kind of is a maybe a good segue to talking about, uh, you know, the buzzword that we've been hearing a lot recently, uh, at least in our circles, and that, that's this notion of community um, and what it means to kind of be in community with one another. Uh, you know, what is a community? Do we have one uh, in ufology? You know, is there one, you know, sort of collection of folks that we can point to and say, you know, here we are kind of doing community together. And I think there are many ways to think about that issue. And uh, I, first of all, I think it's it's incredibly important. Everyone needs a community. Everyone, quite frankly, has a community already. And we navigate through several of them uh, in our day-to-day life. You know, I went to the grocery store this morning, you know, for a brief period of time, I was, I was part of a community of individuals that were at that, that store, you know? So uh, we, we kind of traffic in and out of different groups of people all the time, but we have other, you know, certain groups that we place a high degree of, of primacy and importance on, you know, things like our family, uh, maybe our neighborhood. If you're religious, it could be, you know, your religious institution or house of worship or whatever it could be an interest group that, that you have. Uh, I've got a longstanding community of friends that I like to play video games with. You know, so there are lots of different ways that human beings kind of organize ourselves in, in, into community. Uh, but what, you know, as you've thought about this a lot, I know, you know, what are some good ways that we can look at the community of individuals that, that find this topic in particular interesting? Um, and, you know, how do we have a healthy conversation, a healthy understanding of what that looks like and where do you see the community kind of moving as, as we continue to make progress uh, in various fronts uh, with this issue in in particular? Yeah. The community catchword has definitely been emerging a lot. Um, I know that we're, we're both based on our history, really interested in this and we are, we are pro community, right? We, we recognize that we, we've, we've lost something to some degree in our society. because what the internet has enabled amongst the many things that are so great about it, right? We have access to more information than, you know, 10,000 library of Alexandria's, right? At any moment, you can, you need to fix something in your house or change your oil in your motorbike. If you're me, you can just look up a YouTube video, right? But what it's also done is it's, it's created these echo chambers, right? So rather than getting to know your neighbors who may have different worldviews, which in an ideal situation helps expand your own worldview, right? That um, there's a reason why you have more progressive, diverse cultures or more progressive cultures along the coasts of, for instance, our country. And a lot of it comes down to you have more immigrants in those areas because they're, you know, access to the oceans, which exposes people to new ideas, which tends to expand their worldview. Uh, In the same way, when we 
used to gather together uh, with our neighbors, we were exposed to people that maybe don't think exactly like we do or have personality traits that are different than what we maybe favor. And that was to our benefit. Um, The challenge with the internet is you can find people that have the very same personality as you, believe the exact same things about the world as you, believe the exact same things about everything that's wrong with everybody else. And you get this echo chamber that's self-reinforcing, right? And so you end up with this demonization of everyone who doesn't fit that. And even if you're in the minority, you can find enough people because you can pull from a global pool uh, that fit that, which does not serve us all very well. And we're really speaking of culture and change and evolution. We're really in the midst of trying to figure out what that looks like. You know, is it up to the to the social media companies to police that, you know, to try and say, our fact checkers have checked and that's not true or this is true. <clears throat> Sometimes that'll work in our favor and sometimes it won't, right? There's, For instance, there's a lot of bias against the UFO phenomenon, even today. You still see a lot of uh, suppression in search engine rankings and whatnot of these kind of topics, right? Uh, And you'll get like skeptical uh, Wikipedia articles that show up first. Um, But all that said, I also think, and we've talked about this privately, that some people sometimes apply that term community too loosely, right? They'll say, well, the UFO Twitter community is, re- is really suffering this week, right? And what we sometimes are not self-aware about is the fact that we all have different curated uh, you know, lists of people that are part of our particular version of UFO Twitter. So for instance, I curate mine in such a way that I tend to avoid a lot of the drama and only sort of hear about it when people repost <clears throat> other people's comments about it. So that's the first thing to point out is that it's actually more nuanced about what UFO Twitter actually is than we sometimes acknowledge. Um, another piece I would add is that, uh, and we also talked about this before we went on the air, that um, there are some people who have the most global view on community, right? The UFO community who think that we're still wrestling with questions around, is this real at all, right? Is this really happening or is it just all a combination of misidentifications of military flights and weather phenomena and delusional people, right? There's still some people answer, asking and wanting to answer that question. And so, for instance, you know, I'm going to be involved in speaking at an event in New York, which is specifically already sort of kind of moved past that question. It's more geared towards people who are experiencers or who are interested in the experience of experiencers and what these anomalous experiences say about reality and and how we can live lives when these kind of events are happening. But this week, you know, uh, there's a couple of people who said, oh, is there a reason why no skeptics are invited to this event? Um, And uh, again, I think from their perspective, they're saying, well, because every UFO conference should be asking these base questions rather than acknowledging, no, there are different subgroups within UFO uh, Twitter even, right? And it's okay uh, to acknowledge uh, that different people will get together. Uh, if you want to have a skeptics group, you can. And I say, go for it. You know, like I'm not, I'm not saying, uh, let's say some questions can't be asked anymore. If that's where you're at, then go to it. You know, like uh, more power to you. Keep asking that question as you can. But don't try to suppress those who feel like there is abundant evidence that they're already on to the second uh, level of questions. Yeah, exactly. And it you know, reminds me of, uh, you know, those who sort of made it their mission to kind of 
go after groups that they disagree with. You know, so if you've ever been, um, I mean, a, a good example of this is, you know, there are certain atheists who, you know, spend a lot of their energy and time, you know, really working hard to try to dismantle uh, the the things that they find wrong about, you know, organized religion or religious belief generally. You know, so every kind of waking moment, you know, they're they're kind of putting together arguments and engaging with those communities to, you know, with the hope of convincing them that their religious beliefs are, you know, are wrong. Um, and, you know, you certainly can do that. And we talked about energy earlier and, you know, there are some individuals where that's just a need that they have, you know, to kind of, to work that out and, and to engage with people in that way. And that becomes their identity. Um, no amount of, uh, you know, of, of, you know, thoughtful conversation or, or, or talk or whatever is going to change the fact that people are going to do that. Right. Um, you know, so it's just the way that things are, but, you know, even still it's okay for folks to organize around things that they feel a conviction on, you know, they, they can, I mean, we do this all the time. You know, we have friends that we like because we share common interests and, uh, you know, we don't, uh, think of our friend groups as, uh, you know, who, who love going to, you know, do whatever it is together, you know, whether it play a sport or, uh, or watch a sport, uh, you know, or engage in music or whatever it is that we, we like doing together. You know, we don't think of those people as, uh, engaged in some sort of a cult of, of football, you know, um, we could call it that. Um, but I think using the word, uh, cult, you know, for the, for the most part in our culture, um, you know, it's kind of used in a, in a pejorative sense. You know, if we're using that term, we often are, you know, trying to put someone else down. We're trying to in-group and out-group individuals uh, w- with the intention of painting them in a negative light. You know, the reality is we all have our interest groups. We all like, you know, congregating around people that we enjoy being with. Uh, and that often is people that we find ourselves in agreement with. Um, I do think that healthy communities are going to make space for, um, and, and in some ways even kind of ri- ritualize uh, the, uh, the, the role of the skeptic or of the challenging question or the disbeliever or whatever it may be. You know, at least the healthy communities that I've been a part of don't seem to shy away from that. They certainly, you know, wrestle with it. I mean, I've been a part of, you know, many uh, kind of organizations that have had those voices and, you know, you can kind of leave the group discussion going, well, here we go again, we're going to talk about this. And it's just kind of exhausting. But at the same time, you know, I think if you're really genuinely invested in in the individuals and you're doing, you're engaging in good faith, it, it, it really shouldn't bother you because it's either going to strengthen your, your beliefs and your, you know, your conviction, or it's not. And either way is okay. We all have our own kind of journeys to take here. Yeah. Uh, it, it is, it is a, it's a complex situation because we're saying on the one hand that we, we all want to acknowledge, uh, the humanity in each other, right? That, that in, in the biggest community picture, we are all human beings, um, and we have numerous factors that have influenced who we are and why we adopt any particular worldview, why we're a cynic or a skeptic or not, right? Um, you know, you look at someone like a, a Mick West and, uh, you know, there are some people who really look back on all of the damage that was done when we used to burn witches, right? When the, when the church had power 
and how that was not based on reason and rationality. And so someone like a Mick West or people like him look at, uh, you know, with maybe not the the most accurate lens, though they, they kind of associate those who are enthusiastic about UFOs potentially representing alien visitation in that same sort of light. They, they sort of see it as that more of that irrational, unreasonable, ungrounded in facts, uh, perspectives that ultimately can do a lot of damage. And I think we need to acknowledge that, right? That there, there can be good reasons why people have adopted that skeptical approach. It's not just that they're all mean people uh, or they just like to be Debbie Downers, right? Like some, some people really believe that um, in, in their heart of hearts, they believe that to let people believe these kind of uh, fantastical things ultimately does harm to the civilization, like even violent harm based on our history. And they're absolutely right. That has happened. But sometimes we can overreact, right? I've talked many times on this program about um, how we have these pendulum swings, right? Even as an entire culture. So uh, coming out of the, the church having the rule, once that, that kind of impact and that, that rule diminished, you had people within the scientific community saying, now, wait a second, that whole thing was not only hogwash, but it did incredibly, incredible damage to our civilization. So we're going to do everything we can to stamp out every last ember of it, right? Like you brought up the point how some atheists kind of have that as their, uh, you know, their ongoing mission. I remember hearing uh, someone who was like the president of, president of a certain psychological association say that, you know, our role as psychologists and psychiatrists should be to stamp out religion like stamp out religious belief, which is a strange mission for a the president of a psychological association to take. Um, it seems to me that you should just go where the data you know leads you and not begin with a mission a priori that's based on a, a pre-existing position. Uh, but th- this is the this is the challenge uh, and there's not simple answers, um, but we need to regardless move forward regardless of what community we are a part of, Remembering that in the larger sense, we are, you know, part of the the human community. And I would even argue, um, you know, this intergalactic community of sentient agents that all have more in common than we don't. And we sometimes do a disservice to who we really are when we forget that. Yeah, well said. Well, as we kind of uh, wind down the, the episode, um, what are some things that uh, are kind of top of mind for you? As we look ahead, not only with uh, our show, uh, Liminal Frames, but Point of Convergence and and then outside of the kind of the, the shows, you know, what are some things coming up on the horizon? I know you mentioned the symposium in New York. Very excited about that. Hopefully folks can either attend in person or uh, can, can attend that uh, digitally. It'll be an excellent conversation, series of conversations. Uh, but what, what are some things that you, know, you, you see happening on the horizon? Yeah, on that on that one point there with the, the symposium. What's so exciting about that is that it's it's a you know a living breathing example of what we've been talking about, like getting together with people in three D, you know, breaking bread with people literally, and um, and getting to know people in, the, in more of a full picture of who they really are. Right, um, I, I think that's essential, and that unlike UFO Twitter, you can't completely curate who who's on that list and who's who's not. Right, so. That means you're going to end up, uh, you know, interacting with people who maybe don't have the same perspective as you, even though some, you know, 
critics would say, well, you're, you're limiting who's going to be there based on the nature of the discussion points. Fair enough. They're, that's true to some degree. Um, you know, a Mick West probably is not going to want to attend that conference. Uh, but Mick, you're welcome if you want to. Um, but nevertheless, even within that, you're going to run into people who maybe have challenging personalities from your point of view or see certain things differently than you do or have certain aspects of themselves that they're not self-aware about that seem more glaring to you. But that's all good. I mean, I think that um, it makes us more gracious towards our fellow human beings when we do interact because, again, we're reminded more of what we we have in common rather than what makes us different. Um, another thing I would say in terms of what I'm looking forward to is, and this touches on something you asked about earlier, which is if it's not through government disclosure, you know, what is going to crack this nut? I would just say that I would point people to how certain topics uh, tend to go viral in our current society. Um, as much as it was a great uh, event uh, historically when the New York Times published those articles, you know, from Ralph Blumenthal and Leslie Kane in 2017, actually, sometimes not only is government, but even newspapers and journalists these days are actually responsive to these groundswell movements that can form, right? That, that, don't originate there, but end up being talked about there. And there are certain people, for instance, in our society that have a lot of influence, right, um, on social media. Now, I will say this, if you can get some of those people to see the evidence that don't have the biases that say that the scientific mainstream has or the government system has, then you could suddenly overnight ignite a fire that would end up inevitably impacting those newspapers and those government systems because some of those people have so much influence. So this is a way we could take, you know, the internet for all its flaws and benefits and really use it uh, for towards good ends here, really productive ends. That if you can persuade some of those people that don't have these biases and aren't part of these and aren't beholden to these systems like mainstream science and the academic game, right? Which has its all of these structures in place that make it difficult to even ask certain questions. Some of these people are outside of those structures. And if one or two of those people can get a hold of this and be lit by it, right? Be really taken with, wait a second, this is the biggest question. This should be front page news in the New York Times. Some of these people getting involved could be the very historical event that makes this a front page story of the New York Times. I love that. Yeah, if we you know, can go after the influencers and, and kind of see what might happen there. Um, yeah, and for me, just personally, I, I over the last several months, my energy has been really kind of tried, tried to direct it toward more personal engagement. Um, and so... Uh, that can be trying to deepen relationship that I have uh, in a virtual sense with people that I've encountered on my journey here, uh, getting to know them in, in, a, in a better way, a deeper way, uh, knowing more of who they are as a person uh, outside of just uh, their beliefs or, or behaviors within you know, the, the Twitter community or the UFO community. Um, and I'm looking for ways to continue to do that ahead. I think that um, there's a tremendous amount of value to having uh, a deeper engagement with individuals, um, particularly when it comes to this topic. And I don't mean that just in the sense of 
uh, you know, it's great to know people and, 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 you know, develop closer friendships. But I really think, I think of it from the standpoint of there is something uh, fundamentally valuable about uh, developing relationships with people generally, you know, that there's something special. And I think we've all experienced this, uh, at least I hope we all have experienced this at some point in our lives, whether it be through family uh, or a friendship or a partnership, you know, where we've, we, we have this sort of difficult to quantify, uh, you know, you know, feeling and, and sense of uh, importance in, in human relationship. And uh, there, there's a lot of power there uh, when we when we can find that and nurture that. And I would encourage people uh, to look for ways that they can do that, uh, you know, just broadly. It doesn't have to be uh, with, uh, you know, the UFO community. It can be of any community that you are involved in, you know, kind of lean into those relationships, uh, you know, try to be a little bit more authentic and uh, more personable and vulnerable, uh, at least in ways that, that are appropriate for you. Um, because, you know, I'm of the opinion that when we can do that, we can find opportunity to do that. Uh, we really, uh, you know, improve the, the overall quality of our, our individual lives, our collective lives, and, and I think the, the, the life of our, our world, you know, so we need more of that, not less. Um, and we've, we've kind of, found ourselves in a time period in human history where we're, we're a little bit unmoored. We, we haven't been uh, doing that as well as we used to do it. And uh, I think we need to kind of bring some of that back and, and, you know, look for ways, at least I'm looking for ways where I can do that in a more meaningful way. Yeah, that's a great point. And I, I say here, here, um, and I would just add that there's even an energetic reason why that's important. And that is that, uh, you know, like even to pull up something that is recorded as being uttered from the the lips of Jesus, right? Um, where two or more are gathered, right? It, it's this notion that, um, uh, actually, was it Jesus? I forget who said it, but it's in the Bible anyway, in the New Testament. And the point being that there is some sort of energetic wavelength that gets kick, kicked up to a much higher degree that's more than the sum of its parts when people gather around a shared vision that um, it's something uh, I call we space, right? It's just, it's, and it's incredibly powerful. I've experienced it in numerous gatherings that I've been a part of where you have as much as yes, it's true that we should also uh, join together with people who maybe don't see the things, uh, say things the same way we do. But nevertheless, when you do gather together with people in a heartfelt way, and you align on a shared purpose, right? That it seems like the universe joins hands with us in that process. And the energy resonance that's generated is much greater than the sum of its parts. And it's enough to begin to really change the structure of our civilization. So, and it changes certainly the people that are involved. So yes, I completely agree. And I, I that's one of the trends I'm really excited about that's happened even within, within UFO Twitter. You and I have been a part of different groups that have sort of split off and joined together around different topics and gotten to know each other in more, you know, multidimensional ways. There's so many uh, positive benefits that come from that, that I would encourage more of that for everybody that's involved. Absolutely. Well, we'll conclude on that. It's been a pleasure uh, getting back to the Liminal Frames uh, microphone, and we really want to thank everybody uh, who has been with us on this journey, uh, whether you've been with us from the start or just now uh, picking up the show. Uh, we really want to th say our thanks to you and look forward to continuing this conversation with you in the weeks and months ahead. 
uh, as we conclude, may the quality of our questions shaped by a desire for understanding enhance our journey of discovery. And may our travels broaden the sphere of our consciousness, reminding us that new discoveries beget new horizons. As always, adventure awaits. We'll see you next time on Liminal Frames.